0: One of the many things you can enjoy in the men's canoe trip is hiking. Just it's hiking with a canoe on your back, so it's not your regular hiking, but uh, hiking nonetheless. And I, I enjoy hiking, but probably not the extreme kind of hiking that a woman by the name of Katharina Gruna uh, set out to uh, to do as. Um, Maybe it was just a break from life. Maybe it was an opportunity to uh, test herself, experience something of uh, the beauty of God's creation. But uh, she set out to, uh, to hike the entire Pacific Coast Trail. Starts at the border, the U.S. border with Mexico, and ends up just across the border uh, in Canada. And it uh, is this long, picturesque, beautiful trail. As she started the journey, before she started the journey, she said that she was, uh, had lost hope in humanity. And I don't know too much about uh, what kind of uh, pain or brokenness had led her to describe um, her sense of uh, things that, that way, but that was her position. And so she decided deliberately to take the trip alone. Um, wanted to be away from people, wanted to uh, be on her own. And, and she set out in May, and by middle of October, she had uh, done some 4,000 uh, kilometers in, in uh, making her way up the coast. It was in Washington, however, that she met a woman by the name of uh, Nancy Abel, who... Uh, just shared the trail. She was a uh, a very experienced local hiker uh, who knew the trail well and uh, she was out for a day hike and they spent a couple of hours together on the trail. As they did, Nancy became concerned. Uh, she was concerned because she knew what lay ahead and as she looked at uh, Grunas' uh, equipment, resources and preparation she wasn't sure that she was up for up for what Leah had. Uh, first of all, she was concerned that she didn't have any snowshoes, and she would be entering into what's known as the Glacier Peak Wilderness. And in mid to late October, that's a dangerous place to find yourself without the right equipment. Uh, she also didn't seem to to be fully aware of just how uh, how dangerous it can be, how quickly the weather can change in that part of. Uh, of Washington State. So what she did, she tried to convince her not to carry on. She cri- tried to convince her to stop. But uh, Katharina Grune said that she, she's come this far. I mean, she's got, at that point, she had, um, had hiked close to 4,000 kilometers on her own. Uh, what could another 300 kilometers really be? Um, and so she was convinced, I can do it and I can do it alone, I'm going to make it, and she pressed on. Well, unfortunately, things turned badly. Uh, She did enter the Glacier Peak Wilderness, and uh, as is often the case in that uh, that part of the state at that time of year, the weather turned very quickly. Blizzard hit, and she soon found herself in three feet of snow. Uh, she had two tarps. One of those had, been, had blown away uh, on her journey, and she had, two gl- uh, she, uh, she had lost two sets of gloves. Uh, missing a tarp, and in the conditions that she found herself in, her sleeping bag was by this point completely drenched, and she began to feel the onset of frostbite and hypothermia. It could have uh, ended right there um, had it not been for Nancy Abel, the uh, hiker who a week earlier had spent those two hours on the trail with her and was and continued to be concerned for her. Uh, she uh, plotted where she thought she might have reached on that, uh, on, on that trail as she continued to listen to uh, news reports and forecasts of uh, this uh, brewing storm that uh, she thought she may very well be in the midst of right now. Uh, more than that, she went on to some chat rooms for hikers and asked whether anybody had seen her, um, found out where she had last, last uh, been uh, seen by another hiker, and eventually, in great concern, made the call to search and rescue and a helicopter was dispatched that helicopter found uh Gruna within hours of her death uh, they were um, in the last pass of uh, of of their of their search and found her in a very critical condition and Fortunately for her, because of Nancy Abel, because of uh, the care of a hiker who took an interest in her, she had a happy ending to to that trip. But often, that's not the case. Often things end badly. And as as I think about that trip that she made, about the way that she took it, about uh, how things developed on that journey, for me, it's a... Uh, it's a parable. It's an illustration of how many people live the Christian life. They set out on the journey thinking that they know that it'll be long. They know that maybe it'll be hard, but they figure they can make it on their own. They figure that even if they don't have all the right equipment, they're, somehow they'll press through, and so they go and they live the Christian life uh, essentially solo. Along the way, people may try to provide warnings. People may try to intervene and say, "This probably isn't very safe. Um, there are things that are coming that you really ought not to be tackling alone." And yet, hey, we've we've made it this far. We've we've come this far with. Uh, the way with the approach that we've taken, and so we don't feel a real urgency about change, and so we continue along. As I look at today's passage, I believe that God's desire in his goal is to help you and to help me, first of all, not get stranded on the path, and second of all, not to take the approach of Katharina Gruna not to try and live the Christian life solo. It, it looks at uh, the, the help that we need to walk the path that God has set for us. And it also gives us something of, a, uh, of a, an attitude that we can take to some of the obstacles that will keep us from getting the help and the people around us that we inevitably need. Uh, we're in uh, First Thessalonians uh, through the summer. We've come to chapter three. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me there. Uh, if you want to use the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 9:28. And I'm going to read from uh, chapter three, verse six uh, down to verse 13. First Thessalonians chapter three, verses 6 to 13. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of God. Now, as I see this passage, I see, as I said, God's desire to help us not get stranded on the path. And I think that there are, 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 are three things that he helps us to, to avoid that. And the first is to pray through the obstacles that keep you from closer fellowship. Because I think it's too easy for us to look at circumstances that, that, that stand in our way and would otherwise prevent us from getting close, getting help, getting alongside others, and we just accept them. We, we, we see them, but we don't think that there's anything that we can do about them. But God calls us to pray through the obstacles that keep us from closer fellowship. Now when this section opens, Paul has just received a letter from Timothy, a, a report from Timothy. Uh, Paul had gone to Thessalonica, planted a church there, but because of the the opposition, some some uprising that took place in the city, he had to get out in a hurry. And so he's only spent several weeks with them, and he's now been separated them from them for close to a year. But When he was not able to get to them personally, he sends Timothy. Now Timothy has finally returned with a report uh, talking about them. But the news from Timothy is, and and, uh, Paul's response to it, is described in an interesting way. In verse 6, Paul says that Timothy has brought us the good news of your faith and love. That good news is actually gospel. It's a word that we typically associate, and every other time Paul uses the word in in the New Testament, it's referring to the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. But here he's saying, Timothy brought me a report about you, and it was gospel. It was good news. It was was not the the good news about Jesus Christ, but it's almost as if he picks up that word that had was loaded with significance, and he says, when I heard what was happening in your lives, it was like I'd heard the gospel all over again. (laughs) It, it, It brought joy to me. It brought strength to me. It brought life to me. So Paul is excited, but he gives specifically some more reasons about why he's so excited. He says, you always remember us kindly and long to see us. I'd have you consider why why would Paul be so excited that they were happy to hear from him and, and were eager to see him was it just that Paul was kind of proud and egotistical and he just wanted lots of people to be thinking about him all the time was I mean Paul had planted a number of churches he had he had close connections with with many other Christians why was he so thrilled that this particular group of believers were eager to see him, were longing to see him, were, were still remembering him and thinking of him in that way. I don't think it's because he was proud. I don't think it was because it was an ego problem. I think it was because he recognized that their longing to see him and invite him in to be closer to him was an was a, a an expression of health it was an expression of their faith getting translated into love that wants to invite people into their life instead of keeping people out of their lives if when i when i when i read passages like this i, I sometimes just for for context sake i, th- I think What might it have been like what could it have been if paul had planted the church in say canada if if he had um not planted the church in thessalonica but it maybe it'd be among us in 2019 Uh, i i picture paul having having planted the church getting ripped away having sent someone to uh uh to, to try and encourage and bring back a report and he he does so, and and when Timothy shows up in this church, he's he's like, the the, the people are still struggling to figure out who, who is Paul. And yeah, some somebody remembers him. They're 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 at at uh, at a loss to kind of remember who he is. And then when he when they find out, hey, he's been praying night and day that he can come see you. They're like, oh, like, well, yeah, um, we now we remember you, but uh, you know, I know it's difficult for you to come, but we're busy anyway and there's a lot of stuff going on and, and you know, I've got something. I'm watching Netflix tonight and, and, and you know, it, it's okay if we don't get together. Maybe we could follow each other on Instagram or something. Like, it's not so important that we actually get together. It, it's just, we understand your situation. I'm busy too. That's okay. I, I think something like that can happen today because we recognize we're often too busy, too rushed for real relationship. We're we're, we're too full to invite others in and to care to uh, invest ourselves in those relationships. But what Paul sees taking place here, he knows that the church is getting battered. He knows that there is opposition from people around them in their city. But when he sees that they have not only come to put their faith in Christ, but that faith is now being expressed in love, and relationship, and that they're becoming family to one another. And they are inviting him in. They're longing to see him. They're, they're looking for a, a greater depth of relationship. As he sees that, it brings him joy because he recognizes how crucial it is to their growth and to their maturing. The opposite is uh, given us by way of warning in Proverbs 18.1 listen to what it says. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. It's saying that there is something in the human heart. There's a selfish desire to pull back, to push away, to keep people at a distance. Because when we can do that, it says, we're there. We can give full vent to our desire. We can have things our way. We can keep the messy people and their messy relationships and their interests out of, out of our business. And so we can go on and do things exactly the way we want. And so there, there is something in the human heart, this selfish desire that wants to pull away, isolate. Notice what also gets coupled with, with that Isolation, though. It, it ties together isolation with poor judgment, right? Breaks out against all sound judgment. It shouldn't surprise us for a second that Katerina Gröna found herself in the midst of a blizzard having made some poor judgment calls al- along that trail. Shouldn't, s- shouldn't surprise us for a second because when we cut other people out and we isolate ourselves we don't see our own blind spots. We don't see our own weaknesses. We don't see what we don't see. It also shouldn't surprise us when we try to live the Christian life solo, when we try to walk with God solo and keep other people out. It shouldn't surprise us that we will make some poor decisions. We, are, we will find ourselves walking into uh, circumstances that we would otherwise be protected from that we would be guarded against. God hasn't designed us to go it alone. Now, Paul has to keep returning to this theme, and you see it throughout the New Testament. Uh, For instance, in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, he had to tell the church, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Anyone guess why Paul had to tell the people in the church, guess what, there's not just one of you in the church, there's actually many. Do you know why he had to explain that to people? Because the people in the church in Corinth didn't think they needed anyone else. They figured, as long as I've got me, God, maybe my Bible and a bit of prayer, I think I can make it. And he said, it doesn't work like that. There's not just one member, there are many. And in fact, you need one another. You, You need the many. God has intended the many. Because biblical fellowship is one of God's primary means for building up our our faith, for strengthening us in the walk. In verse 10, uh, Paul prays. He says, he prays that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He knew that something critical takes place in real biblical fellowship. We smooth out one another's corners. We fill in the blanks in each other's faith and experience. We supply our strength when we have it, when another person is in need of weakness, and when we are down, then another person lifts us up. That that is God's plan for our growth, for our maturing, for our strengthening. I, I feel the importance of this in my in my own life. Uh, I uh, so tonight will I, I have a I have a life group uh, that that I lead that. I find strength from, that I get encouragement from. But I, for about a year now, I've also been involved uh, monthly in a small group for uh, other pastors in this area. Uh, guys that come together to to speak into the weaknesses in each other's lives, to build each other up, to look for ways that we can strengthen one another and help one another. We pray for one another, and I feel stronger because of it. There, There are too many pastors with... Big heads, lots of knowledge, and too little love, and too little maturity. And I don't want to be one of those guys. I, don't, I, don't, I know that I need other people in my life if God is going to do what he needs to do uh, in, in my heart to, to mature me. We all do. We need other people. God has designed us that way. Now, if there are some obstacles to that in your case... You are not alone. In fact, that is to be expected. Uh, We saw last time in chapter 2, verse 18, that Satan had hindered Paul from getting back to the Thessalonians. He would put obstacles in their path. In Paul's case, the, the hindrances or the obstacles included the potential for riots, physical danger, and imprisonment. Most of us don't, feel, don't, don't face those kinds of obstacles, right? Most of us, like, we, it's difficult for us, and we've got something going on Tuesday night maybe, but, like, we're not talking about people are, are, are threatening to string us up and, and uh, throw us in prison if we were to, to join a life group or to get together with another Christian. That, we're, our obstacles are typically a little bit lower scale. But just imagine for a minute that maybe your, maybe your hindrance is imprisonment, Physical danger and um, a potential for riots broke, breaking out. Most of us would say, well, uh, th- th- "There's nothing I can do. Circumstances are beyond my control." I-, I think that you know, it just isn't God's will for me to have fellowship with other believers. We'd, we'd say that, right? Paul's Paul's approach is completely different. In fact, he doesn't appear to be surprised at all by the obstacles. But in verse ten, it says that they prayed most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face. Ever prayed most earnestly day and night about the things that are keeping you from fellowship with other believers? I, 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 I very seldom hear people coming to me with those kinds of prayer requests. Pastor, would you, would you pray day and night for me? Because I, I know how much I need fellowship with other believers. I know how much I need to get involved in a group here but I, I've just got this thing and it just feels like Satan has, is getting in the way and is stopping me and I want to get past that. I, I don't hear though. I mean, may, maybe you're praying that. If you are, I, I want to encourage you to do that. I, I'd give you just a, a very practical assignment this week. Just take some time this week to make a list of all of the things that make it difficult for you to get into fellowship with other believers, to, to join one of our life groups. What, what 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 would be some of the obstacles and they may be you might say you know my personality i just i I'm, I'm just not into that i'm not really good with other people or i I just the idea of opening up in front and sharing i'm not i don't sure if I know enough, maybe it's schedule issues, whatever just make your list and I'm not going to ask you to pray earnestly day and night. Maybe You can choose. Maybe you earnestly pray day. Some of you pray night. Like you can do one or the other. It doesn't have to be both. But I'm going to encourage you to, to make a list and to pray about it. To just pray about it. To ask God to remove some of those os- obstacles and to ask God to give you the strength to overcome some of those obstacles. Some of them he may want you to, to climb up over. And some of them he may need to tear down. But but make the list. I, I, I think that's what the passage is, is calling us. So to avoid getting stranded on the path, we pray through the obstacles that keep us from closer fellowship. We also seek strength in the faith of those we invest in. The passage is calling us to seek to build into and invest our lives in those that we might lift up. But it's also with an understanding that as we do that, somehow... God, God wants us to receive something as well. He, he, it's not a one-way thing. He wants to build us up even as we seek to build others up. We, we seek strength in the faith of those that we invest in. Now, this gets expressed in this passage in an interesting way. In verse 7, Paul says, In all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. I want you to stop and think about um, this for a moment about what Paul's saying because if I told you he, he starts by talking about all our distress and affliction and if I like if I were just to say you know in all my distress and affliction you'd say well Paul like you've got about this much distress in your life probably and your affliction isn't that you know what's it's not like that terrible anything that's going on in your life but when Paul says all my <laughs> distress and affliction we're talking about the guy who's got like, beaten by rods, he's, he, he has to leave town in a basket out the wall at one point, he's, he's been shipwrecked, he's bitten by snakes, like, he knows distress and affliction, and if there's anything that could bring comfort to someone who is facing that kind of, that kind of stru- stress and distress, like, I, I want to know what it is, and so I, I'm, 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 I'm interested when he talks about it. So what's going to comfort someone who's going through that? He says, it's the Thessalonians who have comforted And I'm thinking, like, Paul, you, you only spent three weeks with the Thessalonians. How on earth are they going to be a comfort and encouragement to you? And the reason that they were an encouragement was because for three weeks, he had poured his life into them. He had invested in them. He sought to encourage them. And now when he looks back and he sees evidence, not only do they believe, they've got some truths in their mind about who Jesus Christ is, not just that, but that faith is being expressed through love. Timothy told me, that you guys really love each other. You really care for one another. You're treating each other like family. And at that moment, Paul says... That's, it reminded me why I do what I do. It gave me that encouragement. It lifted me up because I had invested my time and my life to, to encourage you. But now as I see you taking those steps of faith, that encourages me. It reminds me what it's all about. It encourages me in what, uh, I, I, in what I do what I do. Paul goes even further, further though. In verse 8, he says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And then in verse 9, he's gushing about all the joy that he feels in them. Today, we might say, like, it was killing me while I was waiting to get a report about you because I really I didn't know how things were going to turn out there. Like, I knew how hard it was going to be for you. I I didn't know how it was going to go, and that was just eating me up inside. It was killing me. When, when I got that report from Timothy, it was like I had a new lease on life. Like I'm getting beaten up too and I'm facing opposition and persecution. But when I see you standing strong, it just, it just lifts my spirits. It gives me courage. And I, I think that's what happens when we get together in fellowship with one another. Like when we see that we're not alone in the battle, when we see that somebody else is taking the hits and standing strong and laying hold of the Lord and finding strength in him, it, it just gives us something right it, it makes us want to to seek after him it gives us gives us the power that we need to to press on and Paul would never have known this encouragement if he hadn't first made that trip, invested in this city, taken time with his people and God used it in our lives. You seek strength in the lives of those you invest in. Could you point, now don't point right now because this would be really awkward, but could you point to people in this room that you are investing your life in? Would you, could, could you maybe list um, a group of people that you're just investing time with, investing prayer in, investing encouragement in, people that you're trying to affirm, to befriend, to lift up, to encourage. Can can you point to people? Again, don't point. But could you do that? Because I I, I think that's what this is talking about. And it's as we invest in them that God brings a return in us. I I read this week about uh, Don Carson's uh, time growing up as a teenager. Don Carson is is a uh, a world-renowned theologian, a man that I deeply respect, but he uh, grew up uh, the son of a church planter in the province of Quebec. He, growing up in Quebec, not a lot of evangelical Christians, very small uh, churches separated by great distances, and so if you're a, a teenager in a church in uh, Uh, in Quebec maybe 35 years ago, uh, there aren't a lot of you. You don't know a lot of other Christian uh, young people. And so what they would do several times a year, he explains, they would come together for these um, regional youth events. And people would travel from several hundred kilometers around to get together and they'd gather some over 200 people. But Don Carson explains that he would go to these events and, yeah, there were all of these youth gathering from all over, but he'd come home and he'd complain to his parents. And with, with his parents, that maybe wasn't a good idea, but he, he complained to his parents. He said, yeah, I went there and, like, f- for the whole weekend, like, nobody was talking to me. And nobody was paying attention to me. And I kind of just felt, like, out of it. And I felt, I felt left out. And... Don Carson's probably got to be in his 60s now, and he still remembers what his mother told him when he came home from one of these events and and, uh, shared this. He said, um, she said this, Don, if you're going to complain and feel sorry for yourself, just stay home. But if you want to live like a Christian, you go to the next event and look for the loneliest most isolated person in the entire room, and you make it your business to befriend him. And otherwise, shut up and stay home. Now, she, she, she was not afraid to share her opinions <laughs> with her children, clearly. Uh, and maybe, you'd say, I think maybe you could have stated that a little differently or whatever, but uh, it, it made an impact on him. Um, it, this is a great encouragement to me as a parent, maybe for some of you. It's interesting. Don says when she told him this, he argued with her and told her that she was wrong. But when he went to the next event and he found himself feeling left out and isolated, guess what? He remembered good old mom and her advice, and he looked for someone that was looking just as lonely as he was and went over and tried to encourage them. And he said it totally transformed his attitude and his participation in these meetings. He, he began to not look for everyone to come and take care of him, but he looked for people that he could lift up and bless, and in the process, God lifted up and blessed him. I think that's what God calls each of us to do. To invest our lives in others that we might somehow experience a return. That God might do something in our our heart as well. I see this principle being lived out in many of you. I see you encouraging one another. I see many of you praying for one another. I, I know that many of you are coming together in groups and I just see the strength that you express to one another and the protection that you have because you have decided to make fellowship with other believers a priority and you, I'm just seeing the fruit of love. I'm seeing the strength that, that God gives you as you do that. I see the blessing and I, I, just, I want more of you to experience that blessing. I just would hate for someone to get stranded on the path because you thought you could go it alone. You, you thought that the, the journey, you thought you had enough in your backpack to, to take the journey without any other fellow travelers. And you can't. The God, God hasn't designed us that way. And even if we don't hit the blizzard, and most of us will, we will not live the, the fullness of the life that God has called us to on our own. We just, we can't do it. We need each other. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, I want to encourage you to, to, uh, uh, to, to make time for it, to get it on the program, to, to write your list and see what, is, what are the obstacles, what, what's keeping me from this. So we're trying not to be Katharina We We don't want to get stranded on the trail. And we said that we need to start by praying through the obstacles to closer fellowship. Then we said we need to look for people we can encourage, and that uh, we seek strength in the faith of those we invest in. But finally, the passage ends where it inevitably had to end, uh, talking about love, uh, talking about the love that uh, that will drive and motivate the fellowship that God calls us to. We love others as necessary evidence of true faith. Now, we probably don't need to be reminded of this, but for some reason we do. I, I need to be reminded of this, that love is at the heart of this thing that we hold dear called faith, that, that it is faith and love that, that gave, such, gave Paul such good encouragement. Not as if they needed to add love to faith in order to somehow um, receive God's uh, forgiveness or acceptance, but that love was a necessary indication of real faith. It's a sign that that your faith is real, that you've got the Jesus kind of faith and not some other kind of faith. Because the Jesus kind of faith issues forth in real love. We've already seen how encouraged Paul was in the Thessalonians, but he prayed for two things. Uh, the first prayer verses 10 and 11 was about the obstacles to fellowship. The second prayer in verses 12 to 13 was that they would grow in love. Watch what he prays. He prays that they, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Are you conscious that love is something that you need to grow in? I, I hear people talking about, you know, I really need to grow in my understanding of the Bible. And then, that's true. Or, or they'll, they'll have a sense that, you know, this this idea about daily Bible reading and, and, and actually getting something from the Bible as I read it, like, I, I just, I know that's important. I know that's something I need to grow in. I, I hear people say that. I also hear people talk about growing in the need for prayer. They, they recognize, they gotta figure out the prayer thing. They gotta figure out how they can make talking with God and, and, and responding to him in prayer a regular part of their life and, and to, to figure out how to do that. I hear people say that. I don't often hear people, and maybe it just doesn't get expressed, but there is a recognition. I don't often hear people saying, I really recognize, I really need to grow in love. I've got to work on that. And the reason I mention that is because as I look at the scriptures, it doesn't come naturally to any of us. Like there's nobody that's born really good at love. We're good at selfishness, right? But love is something that we need to grow in. We need to work on. And as we come to faith and we come to understand the fullness of Jesus' love, we recognize all the more the standard is high. and, and, And often it's different than what we thought it was. And it involves some growth. It involves some maturing. When I went to Japan as a missionary, I didn't get this at first. I thought my job was primarily to work really hard at sharing the gospel with people so that they would become believers. And when I got there, I realized, well, even after they had come to faith in Christ, the problem was, if they didn't learn to love one another, they were sitting ducks for Satan's attacks. They they just were. And and it didn't come naturally to people. And and so a big part of the challenge was, how how do I help people Love, love each other, and, and treat each other like family in the family of God. And, and, and until that happened, people from the outside looking in, non-Christians that were thinking about, I'm not sure about this faith thing, they would look and they would see people that didn't really love each other and were kind of looking out for themselves, and they'd say, I don't think there's enough strength in this family for me to take this journey. Like, it it became an obstacle for people to trust in Christ because they knew the cost was going to be high and they're going to have to give up a lot. And if there's not some support mechanism, if there's not people that care about one another, I don't think I've got it. I don't think I can make it. And so that became a big part of my ministry. And as I look at the New Testament, I see the exact same thing happening with Paul. He plants a church and he's, oh, great, they believe. They believe. But until they start loving one, one, one another, they're awfully vulnerable. I, I, I don't know if they're going to go the distance. And, and so he, he encourages them in love and strengthens, strengthens them in that. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Are you growing in love for the people in this room? Are you spending time with them? Are you getting to know them? Are you praying with them? Are, are, are there a group of people that you are looking out for, lifting up, encouraging, seeking to bless? Can't can't do it to everyone. That's, that's why we say on Sunday mornings, there's, there's a limit to the, what kind of fellowship we can accomplish on a Sunday morning. We're all looking in rows. You're all looking up here. None of you are looking at each other. Like, we, we can't do that. But... It's when we come together outside of this room in small groups with one another that we can, we can invest in one another. We can lift each other up. So growing faith should result in growing love for other Christians. It also, also should result in growing love for our neighbors. Look at verse 12 again. Paul, Paul prays, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. If, if it just gets bogged down with, with other Christians, a small group of Christian friends, and you don't care about anyone else, that, that's, that's not the Jesus love. That, that's something different. There, there's something unhealthy about a love that doesn't get trans, translated into love for our neighbors, to love for the people around us. And like fellowship in the church, there are lots of obstacles to this as well. Satan doesn't make it easy it easy but it's at the heart of God's plan and will for us. Galatians 5.14 says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I read that and you read that and it's easy for us to spiritualize that and say, I think it's talking about the the general world around me. No, I I think it's at least including your neighbor. I think it's at least including, you know, the person that's working beside you. I, I think it's, it's including all of those people that are uh, geographically close to us. We invest in them. We care about people. And, and ultimately, that's what saved Katharina Grunas' life, right? Someone who cared. A hiker who had two hours out for a walk. She could have just focused on the trees and the beauty around her. No, she turned and said, I'm kind of concerned about this person. I'm concerned enough to do something about it. She took an interest. She, she cared. She took steps. And even after she'd finished her two-hour hike, she probably wanted to get home, probably had dinner to get ready, probably laundry. There's all kinds of, maybe she's got some projects. Still concerned about that neighbor on the trail. And she did something about it. And she saved her life as a result most of the ways that we express our love aren't going to be as dramatic as that and god doesn't give us extra points for dramatic he just he calls us to be faithful calls us to love in fact in fact in verse 13 paul says that it's this love that jesus will be looking for when he returns It says the result is God will establish our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The love that God calls us to isn't extracurricular. It's what he's looking for, it's the evidence that will show that our faith is real. And so that's why he keeps pointing. Throughout this, this, this letter, he keeps pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ to say if we really have our eyes there and we're living in, life in light of what's coming, then we need to be expressing love to one another. We need to be growing in this. We need to get better at it. And we need to pray about it because ultimately it's God that'll do it in our hearts. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us to grow in this whole area of love. Help us not to be so consumed with ourselves that we can't see the people, the people that sit around us at church or the people that live around us in our neighborhood. And clear away the obstacles. Satan doesn't make this easy. Help us to make time in our schedules. Give us grace for the people who are hard to love. And help us to remember the sacrifices that you made in love. to make peace, to unite us with yourself and to draw us into your family. We praise you for it in Jesus' name.